Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast or Radio Show. Coming to you on this Monday evening here with a heavily requested Q&A episode where I answer your questions directly from Instagram, Facebook, email, uh, the Anchor app itself, and anywhere you guys can basically send me messages and harass me and ask me anything you want to know. And I'll do my best to share my quote-unquote expert advice, which I'm an expert in a very, very, very narrow lane. Uh, but I have experience in broad things in life, just like all of you have. And um, I'll share with you my failures and the little successes I have had along the way in any of these things that I can specifically touch on. So just for a reference point, if you guys do have questions on, you know, fitness, nutrition, uh, whether it's, you know, relationship stuff, uh, finances, anything that you think you want to hear my take on it of how I operate and how we do it and what I've seen, you know, over the past, you know, 15 years of living this life and going from point A to point B. I'm happy to speak on it with any intelligence I can. So, quick reminder, our 50 Days of Fitness Challenge is kicking off here in 12 days, 3 hours, 48 minutes, and 43 seconds, and counting down. So, if you guys are interested in that, the link is in my Instagram bio. It's going to be out in every email on our newsletter for the next probably uh, 12 days here or so. And again, it kicks off on November the 11th, which is 50 days till the end of the year, which we're just trying to get you guys to really hone in and not tank the last 50 days of the year and not, you know, really give away all the hard work you've put in over the last, uh, basically 10 months. So if you're interested in that, hit me up. There is a discount code for all podcast listeners. It's my thank you to you for you guys actually listening to what I'm saying, tuning in, supporting it, sharing it, uh, and just being the badass humans that you are. So my thanks to you. So without further delay, let's dig into the podcast here on question and answer from you specifically. So these are the first batches taken directly from Instagram. And so I'll just go down the list here. First question is, can you talk about specific programming? This is from uh, a fitness professional themselves, somebody who runs uh, I'm assuming a gym or small group training. They're asking just how we program. Now I've touched on this before. Uh, a handful of times. I'll run through it really quick. Again, you guys, there is a podcast uh, title. I think it's called My My Typical Training Day or My Training Routine, something like that. Uh, it, it holds pretty tried and true. Obviously, I do shift gears a little bit throughout the year, and I'll change certain things depending on how I feel, travel schedule, and what I have going on work-wise. But uh, for the most part, I train the same. How we program for our people in-house here, it's really basic. Um, and from that, you know, we can do a lot of sexy things and a lot of different protocols and uh, different, you know, timing sets and reps and schemes. But essentially how we do our group training is we work with, you know, the average person, the couch to athlete, somebody who wants to look better, move better and feel better. Now, inside of that, we have people who are in their late 60s and we have people who are Ironmen. So we do have a wide range of people. Everything we coach is progression regression based, meaning like level one, my grandma can do. Level two, three, and four is for the people who want to go crazy and basically make themselves sick working out. We give them the keys to the car. We let them floor it within reason. If we see something reckless and irresponsible, we'll correct it and we'll fix it. But for the most part, we give them autonomy to train a way that they feel works best for their body. There's no one movement anybody has to do. And even if our level one stuff is too advanced, we can regress it down. So if somebody has an injury, maybe knee, hip, ankle issues, lumbar stuff going on, we can find something to replace that exercise so they're not in discomfort and pain and they can at least go through the patterns and get as much stimulus as possible to reach their goals. So how we lay out the programming, 
from the bases, we go over the, the, the biggest movements first. So we work on a push, a pull, a hip dominant, a trunk dominant, a trunk, and a total body. You follow me here? A push, like we're working on like pushing movements, push-ups, for example. A pull, maybe like some kind of row variation. A hip dominant and a quad dominant, so some form of squatting and lunging patterns, hip hinging, depending on foot placement, you guys get the idea. A trunk, maybe that's the ab wheel, uh, maybe some kind of plank or pillar variation, anything that works, quote-unquote, the abs. And then a total body movement, which essentially, if you want to go total body, burpees would fit the bill. Uh, the assault bike, honestly, would basically work because you're honestly moving all four limbs those are the that is the base of everything we do so everything is birthed in that so the most basic workout we could give is what i just listed in essence and that's you know putting on a timer 30 seconds of work 15 seconds of rest we run it through take a minute pause in between to reset sets run through five rounds that's essentially the day now we do a lot of you know different protocols whether it be you know uh, hub stuff uh am ramps uh, we can go you know block sets you know mini blocks big blocks uh endurance days sprint days strength days uh, hypertrophy days uh, there's really no and there's no rules to what we can do um my only goal is to get people to move the body as much as humanly possible inside the time that they're with us in a safe efficient effective way inside of that what i choose to do and so if you want to give like a I guess like a seventh pattern to that, we build in mobility to almost every single day. And obviously, in my opinion, if you're doing body weight stuff, if you're at an advanced level, that is mobility. If you're going through full range of motion uh, and moving dynamically through space. So we try to build in all the mobility into the days because I know people don't do enough. And, and in fact, I think you could do probably two hours a day and it still won't be enough. So that is how we do our programming. And if you're out there listening and you guys are crunched for time, that is how I would do the programming for you. For most of you out there, the average person who just wants to, you know, again, look better, move better and feel better. Three, you know, kind of total body workouts per week for 52 weeks is kind of the recipe for success. I don't think you have to do more than that. Could you get by on less? Maybe if you were uh, had an active job or did some what we'd call like non-fitness activity outside of those workouts, you could maybe skate by with two if you're doing some form of loading uh, and metabolic work inside of there. But for most people, three total body metabolic workouts per week for 52 weeks mixed in with good sleep, proper mobility, rest, and not eating and drinking like shit is a recipe for success. Hopefully that answered the question. Uh, next one. Getting lean when your body is fighting you and you're close to your goals. Um, you know, if, if I had a magic answer for that, I, I for sure would give you guys one. Honestly, you know, it works this way in fitness. Uh, the rich get richer, if you've heard that. And the fitter you get, you know, quote unquote, the fitter you get. Like, as you get fit, your body becomes more efficient. And so you're burning more calories at rest. Your muscle is your metabolism. And so me just sitting here talking to you guys, my body is so much more efficient than the person who is 50 pounds overweight if they're on a podcast right now. It's just the reality of it. There's so much lean tissue on my body, it has to work just to keep this train going. And obviously, I'm, I'm having the heavier side, I'm about 215, 16 pounds today. So it takes a lot uh, to move this uh, machine around. And again, when it's lean tissue... It's different than if it's 215 pounds of just, you know, for lack of a better term, like you're a bag of shit. Like you just have a bunch of weight hanging off your body. To answer the question specifically, as you do get leaner, you know, the fit do get fitter. However, every level of fitness you get down, the harder it gets. Now, if you're 100 pounds overweight, you know, it's not that crazy to lose 10 pounds in a month or two. Like 
you, you have the weight to lose. And that first initial weight loss is going to go fast. Now, as you get fitter, your body fat gets down to 20%. 15%, 14, 13, 12. If you're a man, down to 10%, under 10 for dudes is where the game gets real because you have to give up so much. It's so much time, effort, and energy in order to kind of get to that next level. Even going from 9% to 8%, 8% to 7%, 7% to 6%. A lot of you guys are going to have to die to do that. We have a podcast titled The Cost of Getting Lean, which I go into great detail on that. I think you should give it a listen if it's your answer. So, Honestly, your body, it's not that it's fighting you. It's just you have to really understand your body doesn't know you want to be that lean. It doesn't know you want to look like that in a swimsuit. It doesn't know you want your ass and your abs and your shoulders to be shaped and molded a certain way. It only knows you're feeding it food and the stimulus you're giving it. So you have to force it through proper training, rest, and exercise. And just know the fitter you guys get, the more efficient your body becomes, you can probably get away with more shit. But there, there is like a like a Mendoza line, right? With that, like where if you want to get down to the real nitty gritty, you got to give up a lot of stuff and be really diligent with how you eat, with tracking macros, with sleep, with rest, recovery. It's tough to do. And again, like I say in the Cost of Getting Lean podcast, for a lot of you guys, you know the juice probably isn't worth the squeeze. For a lot of people, having abs, three sixty five. It's not worth it for you, the balance you're going to have to have in terms of, you know, social drinking and eating and training and, and the lifestyle you're going to have to live. Is it worth it for me? Uh, for sure it is. I, you know, I do this for a living. I'm on camera every single week, plus the photo shoots and all the stuff we have to do. And I just, I personally feel better this way. I honestly have to eat a little bit at a surplus and a little bit, I don't want to say eat worse, but to, to keep this much muscle mass, I have to eat more things than I probably even want to at some points. Just there's a synergy there with me between size and the conditioning. If I was just trying to be super lean and lose 10 pounds, it's not that hard for me. I'm an ectomorph by nature, which I'll touch on later in the podcast. But in order to keep this tissue to be over 200 pounds and be this lean is very, very hard for me even to do. And again, now it's my lifestyle and I'm just kind of used to it. And if you know me as a person, I'm very... Uh, I'm like, you know, I'm the Terminator. I just, I'm very focused on, on what I'm trying to do and really nothing's going to sway me from that. And I don't, you know, get derailed by, you know, parties and, and food and cookies and things. I want all the same shit you guys do, but when I get laser focused on something, I just do it. And for a lot of you, if there's not a monetary goal behind it, if you're not going to be on camera and showing all over to the world and it's not going to, you know, reap you money and, and benefits and give you a platform to do things, I don't really think it matters if you work at a bank, if you have abs or not. Now, if you want it, respect, please go do it. But just know the leaner you get, the harder it's going to be to do that. And it's not only hard to get there, it's hard to maintain it. Because everything you did to get there, you have to keep doing the same stuff to stay there. It's not like you made a million bucks, you invested it, and then the compound interest made you a couple more million. It doesn't work that way with fitness. If you died to get there, odds are you got to probably keep dying to do it. That's why I always say make it your lifestyle. Make it something that's sustainable and attainable for the long haul that you enjoy, and you guys will be successful. Next one, how to evolve training once the weight is lost? Um, I guess it depends on how much weight we're talking here. What I usually tell people to do is obviously, you know, if it's total body workouts, you know, a couple of times a week, that's ideal. Once you've lost the weight and you can do more things, obviously just play with movement. Go through bigger ranges of motion, maybe extend, you know, the work periods. And if your workouts are the same length, increase the intensity inside there. And if you, obviously, if you started off using, you know, doing thrusters with 10 pound dumbbells, can you graduate to 15s, 20s, 25s? So you can increase load, you can increase volume, you can increase frequency, and you can increase workout duration. You can do all of those. Obviously, 
depending on the number of weight, I've seen people here, we've had people lose over 100 pounds, uh, and they're a different person now. There's stuff that they couldn't do when they had 100 extra pounds of weight. They, we really don't have them doing walking lunges. I don't really think it's safe and efficient. That much sheer force coming down when they don't own the movement or have it yet, it's not responsible training. But when they lost 100 pounds and they've understood they know how to squat now, they can split squat, now we can integrate things like walking lunges and lateral lunges and they can move dynamically. So once you've lost a bunch of weight, increase those things and play with bigger ranges of motion and try things. Do things you like to do. Do things when you are 100 pounds overweight you couldn't do. That'd be my advice. Next one. Taking a leap from gym-employed trainer to self-employed trainer, what would you do? Uh, just quit. Um, no, in all, in all seriousness, uh, if you're working at a gym, depending on the culture and where it's at, um, ask yourself why you want to just work for yourself. Uh, I'm not. I wouldn't talk anybody out of it. Obviously, you know, I'm the boss of me, and it's what I did. You know, over a decade ago. But what I would say is ask yourself if the culture is toxic, if you don't like to work there, and if you want you know, more freedom in your brand, what do they allow you to do inside of that organization? Is it all just them? Are you building your own brand? Essentially, you are anyway because you're training the people and the relationship is with you. And now it might be in the House of Lifetime or LA Fitness or 24-Hour or wherever you're at or in Equinox or you know, somebody else's gym. And if you want to go on your own, I guess the question is, you know, are you solely on your own? Are you just training, you know, as an independent in somebody else's house as opposed to being part of a team where you are going to start your own business completely? What I would say is, you know, understand how much money you have to make. Um, first, what you can survive on, how much shit you're willing to eat. Are you willing to take a step back and pay for more freedom, autonomy, and to build a brand? That's the first question I would ask anybody. If you're going to quit your job and you think you can do it better by yourself or you think it'd be more fun or uh, you'll have more autonomy or more growth or freedom or whatever you're searching for, don't do it because you think you can make more money. I don't think that's probably the answer for most people. And again, I can be completely wrong. I don't know you. Um, this is Cam.4Fitness. Hopefully you're crushing it. Uh, if you're good, what I would say is just make the jump, man. See how much money you have to have. Have all the pieces in the place. Are you going to have a studio yourself? Are you going to sublease? Are you going to be part of somebody else's independent contractor inside their place, but they let you build your brand? And do it because you want the freedom. And do it because you want the growth and you want to do different things. And be willing to take less money. Be willing to eat shit. Be willing to live a worse lifestyle than you're living now in order to do it, to build that, and to create it. I think a lot of people, when they do that, they want to be too fancy too soon. They want to, you know, everybody wants, everybody in fitness for the longest time, like, wanted to own their own space. I want to run my own business, my own online coaching program. I want to have my own gym, my own facility, my own building, whether it's renting or owning it. Um, the older I get, I realize very few people own anything and they rent forever. And obviously the base rents tend to go up until they get them into kind of a bind as time goes on. But what I would say is you have to do it, not for just the money, but do it just because you love it and be responsible and start small. You know, you don't have to go super crazy up front. So if you're going to take a leap from, you know, the corporate gym to your own gym, that would be my advice and really have the piece into play and understand how many clients you have and really run the numbers. What is it going to cost me to live my life? Do you have student loans? Do you have a mortgage? Do you have a car payment, insurance, gas, food, uh, rent, utilities, all the things you have to pay in your personal life for you. And then if you're leasing or owning a space, what that costs, how many clients do I have? How many revenue streams do I have? If your only revenue stream is just clients trading you time for money, I would say don't do it yet. 
try to have something in place, whether that be, you know, residuals from projects you've done, if it's online training, if it's coaching, if it's supplements, if it's partnerships, if it's sponsors, whatever it is, see it, you know, run the numbers. Uh, because at the end of the day, like, we want to help people and serve them the best we can. But if you're broke as shit and depressed and unhappy, you can't help anybody. And that comes down to a P&L sheet. And that's the part of this life that I think sucks. Uh, and I don't like it one bit, but it's, we live in an economical world. I would do a lot of this shit for free if I could. And if I had, you know, probably in excess of $50 million in investments, I probably would just do this free shit all day and give people a free membership to my gym. But unfortunately, I don't have 50 million bucks at the moment. So people still got to pay for the stuff we do. Next one, training and eating for ectomorphs that want to add mass. Uh, this is Christopher Carbone, uh, CPT. So Chris is also a fitness coach. Um, for the ectomorphs, I'm an ectomorph by nature. Again, you guys, the body types, ectomorph, endomorph, and the mesomorphs. Those are the three body types, like skinny, we're big, and then you're the athlete and you're somewhere in between. Uh, regardless of what you guys choose to believe, I'm an ectomorph by nature. I was a skinny kid my whole life, and then I got skinny fat, and then I got to be the version of the human you see here sitting today. And it, I've had to basically die to do it, and I continue to die every single day to keep it going. But, you know, I love it. It's my life. I couldn't really imagine it being anything else. If it went away tomorrow, I guess I could I could deal with it, but it wouldn't be ideal. So I started off super skinny for sure, and everything I did was the essence of, you know, aerobic training. I played, you know, football, baseball, basketball, and every other sport you can imagine growing up, and that's all we did was move and just I ate complete shit. And once I really got serious, you just – for me, here's what worked best. And you can change your body type over time, I believe, that obviously age – has slowed things down for me, so I can't eat all the same crap I used to eat because it doesn't uh, doesn't quite uh, melt away as it once did when I was a young young teenage boy and had boyish good looks. And now that I'm older and look like Bruce Willis, things tend to stick with me a lot quicker uh, and not in places that I want if I don't uh, get my shit together in terms of eating. But you can change it over time, not just by age, but how you train, how you sleep, how you live, and your body starts to adapt to the things that you're doing. Now, genetically, obviously, we all have a predisposition to you know one way or another. But what helped me being a skinny person trying to gain muscle was eating at a calorie surplus. And I think the popular way is eating, you know, every couple hours, which honestly just made me feel, you know, bloated and gross and like shit. And I think it really took away from my training in all reality. But that's what I did early on. Then I stumbled into the world of intermittent fasting, which I credit to partially saving my life in in what I'm doing. And there's a, a bigger story inside there. But eating that way, you know, at the time when I started fasting, it was at this point I eat, you know, two meals a day. Sometimes it's just one. But back then I would eat three big meals per day. And so the bigger the meals, the better I got. I just made sure I was at a calorie surplus, whether that was 500 calories extra per day or 1,000. I would always try to overshoot. So obviously eating you know, way more than I was burning because I wanted to you know, gain size and be bigger. And just so you know, when you're going to gain size and you're talking about building lean muscle, you're going to gain body fat too. It's just part of it. Even the dudes in the best steroids in the world and the best drugs, they gain body fat as they gain size. It's just you can't have one without the other. And again, if there's some other drugs out there I don't know about, then maybe it's that. But I'm assuming... You don't have access to those, Chris, so you're going to gain some fat along the way, and it's okay. You just have to gauge you know, what it, what that's worth to you. In terms of training, what I would say, and again, easy way when you're an ectomorph and you feel like you can't eat anymore, the, the fats are what's really going to do it. People always harp on carbohydrates, and those are obviously easy to eat because they're you know basically in everything other than meat. But to me, I would always try to eat a ton of carbohydrates, and that's when I would feel bloated and gross and disgusting. But when I added healthy fats in, nut butters, 
coconut oils, eating, you know, the full fat, you know, meats and cheeses, things like that. That's where I really started to put the size on because when you're eating a ton of nut butter and we're eating a ton of coconut oil, the calories skyrocket and it doesn't take up a ton of stomach volume. It's the same reason a lot of people get, you know, become fat and become overweight is because when they're eating these high fat, high sugary treats, they don't take up that much stomach volume, but they're so calorie dense. You can eat, you know, easily 10 cinnamon rolls in one sitting. It's like you're not even full and yet you crushed, you know, 500, 600 carbohydrates. So I would say go with the healthy fats. And then in terms of training, for me, it worked better. We did like these max OT trainings. I think Jeff Willett actually put those out, but it was like max OT. Um, my, I would feel fine after the workouts, but over a couple of weeks, your body would start to feel like shit because you're lifting super heavy. So for me, it's being smart about the rep ranges, lifting heavy, um, but with proper form, good full ranges of motion and taking longer rest periods in between the training. So when you're, when you're dying in the workout, it's not because you can't breathe. It's because the load is forcing you or your shoulder, or your chest, or your legs just can't push anymore. So we kind of lived in those lower kind of strength rep ranges, maybe like, you know, four, five, six, maybe up to eight, which you can start to get into hypertrophy and stuff. And I would always still do push-ups and pull-ups and the bodyweight stuff I love because I just, I'm an athlete. I can't get away from it. But I would do heavier lifting um, with lower rep ranges and lower volume. And I seem to work best for me and then just really focus on, on the food and the eating. And really, if you're going to try to do size, I would say, you know, working your legs out at least two or three times a week is probably ideal. And again, some version of, you know, squatting and deadlifting and, and pushing heavy sleds and overhead pressing and, and, you know, horizontal pressing as well, I think is, is going to be the bang for your buck move. So hopefully that helps. Next one, how to get started uh, in certifications and how to get experience as a college student if you're looking to break into training. Um, I know BJ Gadur actually trained people when he was in uh, college. I did not. I got my first training cert in like 05-ish. So just as I'm going to graduate college and my first person I work with, I think was like Chris Thompson and them and probably 2006-ish. So in college, I mean, you can go to the, you know, the student gym and see if you have, you know, honestly, for the most people, they start with friends and family and, and coworkers and people who they know and people they're around. Those are typically the first people that they work with. Outside of that, I mean, you're going to meet people organically if they see that you're fit because you're basically your body is your business card. That's how a lot of you know people in fitness get started. Like, oh, you're fit. You can help me get fit, even though most of the time it's complete horseshit because when you're first starting out training, you don't know anything and you can't really help them. But he'll say, hey, this worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. And then it kind of goes from there. But friends and family is probably where it starts with the most. Um, and working with the people closest to you in your circle, I think, you know, offering your stuff at a a discounted rate or honestly the first couple of people you train doing it for free to get before and after pictures, you know, to show people, you know, the proof is in the pudding, give them like an avatar they can identify with. I would say maybe start doing that just because at first you're going to suck shit. And that's no, it's not a knock on you. It's just uh, Nick Robbins, six IX two on Instagram. I'm not trying to knock you, man, but you're terrible uh, when you start. Um, I say that because I was terrible. All of us are, we don't know anything. You don't have the experience. Like the first week you played basketball, you were awful. 10 years in, you're way better than you were in week one. Like I say this all the time. Like I wish all the people who bought stuff from me 15 years ago and all the people I trained in 2006, 2007, 2008 and nine, I, I wish I could give them their money back. Uh, you know, because like it probably was really bad. Like I did the best I could, you know, but when you know better, you do better. 
You know, like as you gain knowledge, like, wow, I wouldn't prescribe that same exercise. I wouldn't have put them through that protocol because either like you're crushing these people or you're giving them stuff. You just don't understand movement enough. So again, work with the people closest to you, offer it a discount for free. That's how it kick off. In terms of certifications, um, I would say the first one you're going to do, just like a basic ISSA is, is fine. If you want to go sit somewhere, the ACE exam is fine too. I just think ISSA for a lot of people, and I've worked with them for a long time. Pat Gamboa was there forever. Um, and Pat actually, I think, was grading my test. He ended up being like one of the vice presidents. Now I think he's moved on. But I remember doing ISSA's cert early on, and they had like a little business module in there. I didn't know anything about business at all. And not that they gave me a PhD and, and showed me how to run, you know, you know, a million dollar business, but at least gave me a base in the setup of like how to draft stuff to give to clients and show them whether it be liability forms or, or email copy or just really basic stuff. So not only do they cover the, the basics on nutrition and training and they make you create some programs for like like a young wrestler or like an older individual you're going to train so you get some experience with program design and prescribing you know workouts and protocols but also gives you a decent background on business which I think uh, all fitness people is key because again there's a lot of fitness people out there that I know, friends of mine, who are really good coaches that I would have no problem sending any of our clients and members to if they move to their city and their state. Um, and none of you guys will know them because they don't do the marketing. They aren't on the internet at scale like they should be. They're not getting mass distribution, so they're never going to reach the amount of people they've got to reach. And sometimes their businesses are going to struggle because of that, because they're not putting those pieces into play. So anytime you can do a training cert, like which ISSA offers, and gives you some kind of business background with a little bit of marketing, I think will be crucial. Next one, relationship advice. Gabrielle underscore Regis. Well, um, Gabrielle, I or Gabriel or Gabriel, I don't know. I read like a third grader. Um, either way, relationship advice for me. I mean, I'm an old married dude. Uh, I don't. I'm not a you know a master uh, at marriage. I'm not a marriage counselor. What I can tell you is this: I love my wife. Uh, she's my best friend. You know, it's just the reality of it. Uh, we mess with each other like we are. You know, you know, middle school kids. Uh, sometimes we annoy the hell out of each other. Um, we know how to push each other's buttons. We do things that don't make any sense. Um, but with that said, the thing that has helped us the most is get a dog, I would say for, for sure. Uh, my dog has saved probably 100 fights at my house for sure. Uh, just because she gets in the middle of it, she's cute, and then we get distracted and we forget what we're arguing about. And honestly, on that same note, really quick, when you're arguing with like your husband or wife or your partner, it's physiology right? Understand that you you have to be in a fighting state. And I don't mean like, like physically fighting, even though my wife can be, uh, my wife can get riled up and give me a, a punch once in a while. But uh, it's a physiology when you guys are fighting. So what I'm saying is when you argue next time, if you remember this, and when you're in the heat of the moment, it's hard to do because things that trigger us and they set us off and we don't think. And so your state is different. Your physical state is changing when you're arguing. If you're laying in bed and your husband and wife says something stupid, you don't just lay in bed calmly and scream and yell at them. You have to actually physically get up, sit up, and most of the time it's stand up. And your hands and your mannerisms, you have a certain way that you stand and you move and you just, you're almost like you're ready to do battle. Like you're physically ready to go exercise because your heart rate is elevated, you're raising your voice, you're standing more often than not, as opposed to just laying down, being relaxed. 
So understand if you put yourself in a physical state that's not that, it's really hard to argue. And sometimes like if you have a do- if you have a dog there, right? And the dog comes in and you notice the dog does something cute or awesome, it's almost hard to even come back to the argument because it it's taking you out of that physical state. It's changed the state that you're in. So that's just a, a side note that I've noticed over time. What we do is we communicate at our house um, always. We don't go to sleep uh, pissed off ever. Uh, if something is wrong, we deal with it right then and there. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that. I don't, even if it, you know, my wife is completely wrong and does something stupid and she doesn't want to talk about it, um, I don't care. And vice versa. If, I, if I'm the one who's being an asshole, um, I'll try to solve it there. Call me on my shit. I'm not going to go to sleep pissed off and waste the evening and waste another day because life is too short for that. I could, I might not wake up the next day. And for, and for her to have to live with that feeling or for me to have to live with that feeling of, oh, I'm so mad at you because you didn't pick up the dishes. Oh, I'm so mad at you because, you know, you didn't talk to me about the budget and we're trying to pay off our house. Like it, it's something stupid. I that I shouldn't waste a, a whole day or a day and a half of not talking to the person I love the most on the planet because of that. It's fucking stupid. It's childish and it's dumb. There's nothing that is so severe that we can't come back from. And if it is, then one of us just needs to move out and just go at that point, right? Like, I'm not going to sit there and lay next to you, not speaking to you like a child and be pissed off. I want to solve it right then and there. And if we can't solve it, we can talk about it and come to some sort of agreement or agree to disagree and just move on. You know, I love you. I love you and live to, you know, fight another day, if you will. That has been um, huge for us. Just open communication about everything. I don't think a lot of people and couples honestly have a lot of the conversations we have about our life and our choices and, and what we want to do with it and how we want to live it and what makes us happy and what pisses us off and what this person does and doesn't do. And I, I really try to understand where she is coming from with everything. And I know it would be difficult to live with me. I know how I am. Um, and she is the same way, vice versa. So I, I try to always go from her point of view first. And in old rule, I think we did a podcast on this, like the Thomas Jefferson 10 rules. Maybe we didn't. I've written this blog post uh, a couple times on a few different sites. It's Thomas Jefferson's like kind of 10 rules for life. And one of them is, you know, he did it with like writing letters, right? Like if you're going to send somebody a letter and you're pissed, you write the letter. And if you're mad, you stick it in the drawer. You come back three days later, you read it. Odds are you probably won't even send the letter or you're going to rewrite it. And so if my wife says something or does something that, and again, if she's not in front of me, it's easy to do because I can look at it. I can, you know, marinate it on it for a minute and then I can approach her a couple hours later. And if she says something crazy to me right up front, I'll sit there and I'll think about it. And if she says something that really angers me and pisses me off and I know I can say something back, like the two or three things that I know will bother her, I sit there and I count to 10. And she looks at me like I'm a robot and she's mad and she's wanting to me react. And I sit there and I'm like, one two and I'm counting in my head silently and then I get to 10 I'm like you don't need to say that man just be calm relax it comes again down to the physiology of it slow your heart rate down try not to raise your voice slow things down that to me um, solves a lot of arguments and and issues right off the bat and honestly I just think communicating you know with your husband or wife and just being open uh, with everything we don't have secrets here Uh, I tell my wife you know everything, you know, for better or for worse, whether she likes it or not. And I hope she does, you know, the same with me. And I just think, you know, communication is key uh, for everything in life and really just try to understand what the other person needs and wants and what they're going through. And if you guys can find some kind of, you know, synergy and balance for that, I think you'll have a pretty good, uh, you know, relationship. And again, does that mean it's going to be easy? Uh, No, 
that still means they're going to drive you nuts and you'll question your sanity a lot of times. But on the same note, you probably wonder like what the hell you would do without them. And that's kind of the boat that I live in too. So hopefully that helps. Next one. Best foods to eat before and after a workout. Well, before a workout, I don't eat anything. I just drink cold brew and like a Powerade Zero or water and I just rip it. But that works for me. Um, but if you want to eat something before your workout, if it's real food, I would say at least an hour before, if not more, just so your body can digest the food and you don't get sick and, you know, puke or shit your pants during training. Or if it's liquid nutrition, you could probably go, you know, 15, 20 minutes before, or even 10 minutes before, just slam a protein shake and go. It depends what kind of training you're doing, what kind of workout you're doing. If it's, you know, a 150 mile bike race, it's different than when you're going to go do a 30 minute Metcon. So that plays into it as well. Post-workout. I like a nice balance of protein and carbohydrates. If you want to throw in a little bit of healthy fats, I can dig that too. Most people like a one-to-one ratio. So if you're eating, you know, 30 grams of protein, 30 grams of carbohydrates would work. If you're somebody who's trying to get bigger, you could do 30 grams of protein and like 60 grams of carbohydrates, give or take like a one-to-two ratio of proteins to carbohydrates. But again, that question really just comes down to your goals and what you have going on. But for most people, you know, protein and produce and, and maybe you know, a little bit of fruit on top of that, which falls into the produce, but I guess, you know, proteins, veggies, maybe some fruits and grains, and uh, you should be rocking and rolling. But for most people, higher protein, carbohydrates to fit the goals, and then if there's a little bit of fat in there, that works as well. Next one, endurance training is the question. Honestly, it really depends on what you're trying to get into. Um, My take on all training modalities is this. If you want to be better at something, do that thing. And if you suck at that thing naturally and you're terrible and you can't figure it out, get a coach, join a gym and a community and a group of people who can help you train for that thing. Um, learn from somebody who's done it before, not somebody who's just good at it, but somebody who's good at it and can coach you through it. So who would I always tell people? They're like, well, Jeremy, I want to go hike Camelback and this mountain and this mountain and because Camelback Mountain is here. If you guys are familiar, Mount Humphreys is here. It's the highest uh, point in Arizona. Uh, I've hiked the Grand Canyon this year, rim to rim to rim. We've done a lot of really uh, cool hikes. And someone said, well, Jeremy, I want to you know, get better at hiking. And I'm like, well, then go hiking. If you want to be better at swimming, go swimming. If you want to be better at riding a bike, guess what? Ride your bike. Like if you want to be better at basketball, keep playing basketball. Practice, practice, practice over and over and over. Even if you practice and you suck, over time you're going to improve at least a little bit. And that's where a coach... And a community and a group of people can help you with that. So if you're trying to be better at something, you have to do more of that thing. I know that seems overly simplistic advice, but it's the truth. Next one, how to learn to relax and not to quit. I'm assuming this turns into, in terms of training, um, really quick two cents. When you guys are training, honestly, um, obviously, if you, I don't even understand the quitting uh, aspect of it because if you quit, nothing happens. So that's never... Uh, that's never an option. So obviously don't quit. You know, you have to keep moving forward every single day. Consistency and commitment is the key to basically everything in life. And quitting, you know, doesn't do shit. You're only going to slide backwards. But in terms of when you guys are training, if you're into like Metcons and you're doing really hard training, like it's your rowing, your skiing, your biking. I went through a training protocol um, in New York about a year, uh, probably about a year ago. And uh, it was a rowing uh, protocol. And basically it's really focused on your breathing. Uh, and your facial expressions, for lack of uh, you know, a description here, it's really basic. You, when you're on the rower, like, and, you, and I'm not talking like bullshitting, like you're rowing a 2K, like trying to PR that thing. I'm talking for most of you guys listening, under seven minutes here, 645, 640, 630, like your book and your hauling ass or whatever your PR would be for you. Uh, 
keeping your face calm instead of like, you know, if you're watching me on YouTube right now, like squinting it and like breathing and making all these faces and mannerisms like you're, you know, struggling to take a shit or somebody's like stabbing you, like something like that, right? Like don't do that. Try to keep your face calm. Try to keep it relaxed. Naturally, that can hopefully keep your heart rate down and keep you relaxed during the training so you don't panic. That's why we do a lot of mouth uh, taping in our training. So like I'll come in, I'll just tape my mouth shut and get on the rower and the ski and the bike so I can focus on a nasal breathing and it forces you to calm down. It forces you not to panic when things get tough because once you're, you start making the faces and the breathing increases and it's fast and you panic, you're almost hyperventilating, you're giving yourself like this exercise-induced asthma, things are going to go wrong. Now, obviously, as you're, you're getting into the PR, it's going to happen anyway, but as you're focusing on the training, just calm your face down. Try not to look like you, know, you want to kill yourself you know, the entire time you're working out. That's helped for me. Next one. How to spend less. I love how you simplify everything in your life, so I would love to hear more. How you spend less. Uh, money? Well, when you're broke, you don't have any, so that's easy enough. Uh, you know, what I do is this. I run a business, obviously. We have multiple entities, offices, so we have a handful of businesses that, that create money for us. I think the last time I checked, we have like 16 revenue streams. So essentially 16 different places money come in uh, to us every month, and that's, you know, how our business runs. And some of the checks are big, some of the checks are little, some of them are in between, some of them are really big, some of them can be really small depending on the month and depending on residuals and the things that we have out there. I put everything into little buckets and I create multiple accounts, right? So I'm a very, you know, fiscally responsible person is what I like to think. And so I don't go by like, oh, here's how much I made, here's how much I can spend. No, I'm always like, I save everything first that's mandatory. And then if there's anything excess left over, I can choose to spend that on certain things. And so for me, it's paying off whatever debts I have. I'm chunking down my mortgage right now. I'm about seven or eight payments away. So I'm focusing really hard on that. I'm also saving for my retirement every single month. The rule we have at our house is we save a minimum of 15% of our overall adjusted gross income into our retirement accounts every single year. That's not even negotiable here. I won't let my wife talk me out of it. She doesn't want to, and I wouldn't let, and she wouldn't let me talk her out of it. That's just something we're going to do. On top of that, we have little buckets for things we want to save for, whether it's like if we want to do upgrades to our house, if we need a new vehicle, if we need a new car. So in our bank account, we have multiple accounts for that. We have like a travel account, which is only money we spend on travel, nothing else. For no reason will we spend it on anything else other than the travel. Then we have like a home improvement account where we'll only spend things for home improvement. Does this make sense what I'm saying? I like to put things into different buckets so I can see where the buckets are at. And for me, to compartmentalize those lets me see different goals and how close or far away we are, you know, being. I'm a, I'm a numbers person, right? That's why we do fitness. We, we count reps and sets and we track times. I like to see the progress. And so hopefully that helps. And again, I always just set a rule, you know, we don't buy things on credit at this house. If we, we can't afford it today, we don't buy it today. We save for it and we wait in the future. We delay gratification for something. And a lot of times when you do that, you start to realize like, wow, I didn't need that shit anyway. I really didn't want that thing. That's really not what I wanted. And I share the example. My wife is cool with this. She, for at one point, she like was obsessed with like you know the dream home thing. Like everybody's dream was to have a dream home, right? And again, that's it's. I'm not I'm not bagging on you if you talk like that. But it's not a fuck. It's not your fucking dream. It's not a dream home. And you might or it's a forever house. You don't know that. 
You don't know what's going to happen in life. You might live there for seven years, nine years, 14 years, and you decide to move. You might not die in that house. You might have kids. Your kids move away, and you're like, oh, we want to downsize. This is too much. Like, So that's what I'm saying here. She would send me like 200 houses one year, like all these homes. And if we would have, if I would have gave in and said, okay, we'll go move, she would be so pissed today because A, it was too fancy, too soon. It was too much money. It was overpriced. Our home has skyrocketed since we've lived here and it still wouldn't have been what she wanted. And so by delaying the gratification because we didn't have the money yet to just buy it outright, we would have had to finance it. She's like, wow, I'm so glad we stayed here. I love being here. This is what I like. This is what I want. We can make a different decision later when we're older and we have more money. And so again, it's it just comes down to you sometimes just really saving for all the things you want and then understanding not what you want. Your, again, live in the moment. Please do. But understand, God willing, with technology, you're going to live a pretty long life. So what do you want your life to look like financially five years from now? 10 years from now, 15 years from now. And that might be completely off of what you visualize in your head, but don't you at least want the opportunity to do something different, to maybe work less, to maybe travel, to maybe retire early or do different things. Again, that's how we tend to simplify stuff. We just really save for, you know, I do whatever debts I have. And when I no longer have debt, we have the conversation of, okay, what do you want to do next? Do you want to move somewhere else? How long do you want to work? Like, do you want to be able to retire early? That's a real conversation we have at our house. Like, are you okay with working until you're 59 and a half? Would you maybe want to punt it when you're 50, when you're 55? Do you want to build a gap fund in between there? So meaning if you guys know you can pull from your retirement accounts at 59 and a half, do you want to have a gap fund from 55 to 59 and a half where you can live off of like mutual funds or real estate investments where you're now a landlord and that's paying you and that's now replacing your salary? So those are conversations you need to have. And that's why I spend less today than I could on stuff. Because, A, I don't want to be in debt up my ass, and I don't want to stress out, and I want to have options. I have a lot of options right now in terms of money of what I can do and how I can live my life and how much I can give back to people. And that makes me feel really fucking good. And I don't ever want to be in a place where I feel like I'm strapped with for money because I bought a $7 million house, and I'm like, oh, shit, these are monster payments. Now I feel like I have to train everybody in the world and I have to work 150 hours a week and I can never take time off. I don't want to live that way. So I always plan for, you know, the world is, you know, worst case scenario. And then obviously I spend the money on the things that bring me the most joy and value. And that's obviously changed over time. I think if you had asked me at, you know, 26, what I would have wanted, I would have said, you know, drive a Benz and live in a, you know, a fresh, you know, condo or house. And now that I'm 36, I could give a shit about a Benz and I don't care about the structure that I live in as long as it's safe from, you know, the elements and animals and, and intruders. Um, I care about different things. I think as you mature in age and, and you acquire more money and you acquire more wisdom, that's going to shift as well. So I think, you know, just being really fiscally responsible and planning for today, tomorrow, and for 10 years down the road um, is how we do it. And really putting the money into different buckets. And if you want to title it, you know, travel account, retirement account, you know, fuck around money, something like that uh, tends to help. And it gives you little goals to shoot for. Once we get 10K here, we'll do this. Once we get $30,000 in this account, we can do that. And it's almost like a game. And I love that more than the actual, the money itself. Um, or more than the stuff we buy. And that's probably what drives my wife crazy is I don't care about the stuff. I don't give a shit about the things. I, I care about the the process to get them, uh, the journey of it, 
the game of it. Now, paying off the house is, is cool because it's going to be a unique story and it's fun and there's legacy in that, but like that, that one's not as fun because it's so much money so fast, but it is still, I like the process of doing it. I like doing what I do for a living. I like speaking on the podcast. I like writing the content. I like training you guys. I like coaching. I like creating the programs. And the byproduct is it does pay money. So I always enjoyed the journey of it way more than just the stuff it bought. So maybe that's why it's easier for me to kind of save, you know, for a rainy day. Next one. Winter blues. Cold weather can be depressing. Any tips? <sighs> yeah. Move to Scottsdale. Um, next question. No, I'm kidding. Uh, honestly, the, the funny that you say this because I was talking to... BJ Gadur a while back, and he had got a similar question from somebody who was trying to be extremely fit. And uh, basically, we're just joking back and forth. And he's like, you know, what would you tell somebody who, you know, lived in, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and it's, you know, snowing and freezing, and they want to be super fit? I'm like, I would tell him to move. And he goes, that's the same advice I gave him. Um, I know that's not an option for, well, it is an option for you guys. You can choose to move anytime you want. You're grown adults. You live in America. But if it's that, it's really hard. You know, it took, I'm from Minnesota, so it took me moving here and uh i don't really have an answer for that man um i wish i did um i was terrible when i lived in the midwest what i mean is my attitude was so shitty and maybe that was just me as a person in the, in the stage of life i was going through because i was just very angry and uh life was handing me a lot of shit at the time and i didn't know how to take it and i played the victim card and um part of it rightfully so and part of it i was just being a little asshole but uh i was not the same person and honestly, maybe moving here was a fresh start of that, and, and I started to take ownership of all the fuck-ups in my life and, and take responsibility for it. But honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with the sunshine. I really do, man. Like, it's just, it's always sunny here. And yeah, I work inside all the time, but we have windows. We pop the garage door open. It's, the sun is shining in. It's bright. Like, you get in your car, it's nice. You drive home, it's nice. Like, it's amazing. Like, the sunshine just puts me in a good mood. So, um if you can move, I guess that would be my uh, advice. No, it really doesn't help, but um, it helped me. So maybe it can help you guys. Next one, emotional eating. Um, this is a supportive uh, wife asking for her husband. Honestly, uh, that's tough, man. You know, there's a lot of triggers that it, we can go really deep. That's almost a whole podcast in itself in terms of emotional eating. But you have to start to understand why you're doing it. Um, what's triggering it? And know that in the moment it feels good. Um but it's that's the problem with food. It feels good when you eat cinnamon rolls and cookies. It gives you like an endorphin high and it makes you want to do it again. And it feels like it's solving a problem. But the issue is it's just digging your hole fucking deeper. You're already in an 8-foot hole and you had 10 cinnamon rolls. Now you're in a 10-foot hole. It makes it that much harder to crawl out of it and jump out of it. I almost wish like these things tasted, you know, like when you put your hand in the stove, you burn it. And it gives you a negative association like, oh shit, I probably not, I shouldn't do that again. It, it hurt and it was painful. And when you eat these foods that taste amazing, it... It gives you the opposite response. It gives you a positive. It gives you a high. So you keep chasing it and you keep thinking it can mask your issues, but it doesn't. It only makes it worse. So it really comes down to like, how do you change that habit? How do you identify why you emotionally eat? What triggered you? What set you off? And what can you replace it with instead of something else? Can you replace it with something similar that's not as calorie dense? Can you replace it with activity or something else? Um, I'll do a whole podcast on that later. I'm sorry. I can't uh, dig into it. I'm getting short on time here next one uh why people tend to give up as they get older with fitness and rehab um honestly you know it gets tougher as you get older for sure um things don't bump back as quick and um people become jaded and life beats them down and honestly they just get lazy with it and they give up and they quit and they think that they're finished and i don't think they've you know 
exhausted all the resources oftentimes. I don't think they have a strong enough why of why they give a shit. And sometimes it just comes down to you're not connected with the right people. I feel very fortunate and lucky at this point. If things went wrong for me, I connect with, you know, the people who are really going to, you know, help me and uh, put me on the right track and can bring me back from injury or disease or a protocol. And that's probably the tough thing. So why those people are giving up, I don't think they have the right coach and the right community and people around them. And if you surround them with the right coach and community, I think they can bounce back rather quick, regardless of how long they've been out the game or where they're at. I really do think having a really strong support group in anything in life is uh, really is crucial uh, and is key. Next one. Uh, muscle gain while fasting seems to be impossible. Uh, nope, it is not impossible. Um, you can fast every single day and still gain muscle. You, you just have to eat in a, a caloric surplus and have to be consistent with your training over time and make sure your, your macros are in check. But I don't think it's uh, impossible at all. If you find yourself like an ectomorph, I would increase you know the meal size, frequency, and overall calories if you want. But you definitely can gain muscle while fasting. I'm living proof of it. It's how I did it. Um, in fact, I made my biggest gains um, while fasting because I've been doing it for the better part of a decade, and that's where my body really, you know, started to take off. So, hopefully, that helps. Next one: plant-based diets. Have you seen Game Changers, the movie? Your thoughts yet? Um, really quick, I have not seen uh, Game Changers, the movie yet. I've heard about it. It's a kind of, I believe, the vegetarian kind of vegan movie that Arnold and Jackie Chan are, are both a part of. I haven't watched it. I don't watch a lot of those uh, type of films just because obviously they have an agenda that they push. Um, again, I'm not saying that film does. I, I will get into it and I'll watch it. And I, if you guys want me to do a podcast on it, send me a bunch of messages and say, hey, Jeremy, watch Game Changers and give me your two cents. I'm happy to do it. What I would suspect without watching it, and this is me just shooting from the hip, it's like most of those protocols. It works for some people. It works for people who are willing to work it, and I think it could do the same for you if you really love it and that, that lifestyle works for you and you feel good with how you eat and, and move and train because of it and you like the way your body feels and looks, then you can probably be successful doing it. Um, I'm not saying I could never be vegan or vegetarian. I'm not now. I don't have a problem with meat. It doesn't make me feel bad. I, I like um, eating it. Uh, Again, I guess I could try going without it for you know multiple weeks or months, but I just enjoy it, and I haven't seen any negative adverse effects from it at this point, and so I'm going to continue to do it. So I haven't seen the movie, but again, I again I think any eating protocol can work for people. I really do. There's people who love being vegan, and they feel healthy and they look great. There's people who love being on the carnivore diet, and they feel healthy and great. People love keto. They love paleo, you know, strictly gluten free, you know, carb backloading, intermittent fasting, you name it. There's tons of protocols that can work for everybody. So I don't think anything um, you know, needs to be off limits. If you find a happiness and synergy with it, by all means, keep doing it. Uh, last question here I can get to. This one, some insight on someone who has to train early in the morning, like 4 o'clock before work, but would like intermittent fasting to go with it, but also wants to build muscle and strength. This person is already you know, relatively lean but cannot work out later in the day. So my advice would be this. If I had to train at four in the morning, man, that would suck. Uh, just on a side note, I just think training that early would be rough for me. Um, even though I get up super early, I don't feel my body is really primed to do it. Although like I've trained early twice in the past probably 10 years, and I, I did it, and I felt fine, but I don't know about the consistency of that. I Honestly, in a perfect world, I would train probably like 8 o'clock at night, but uh, that also doesn't really work for my lifestyle. So I just, 
I train around what you guys are demanding of me. So if I had to train at 4 a.m. and I wanted to do intermittent fasting, but I still wanted to build lean muscle and strength, I would do this. I would shift the fasting window earlier in the day if you can handle it. Um, or I would do this. It depends what you, the goal is for the fasting. If it's just to eat in a confined window, you could train at 4. I'm assuming you get done with your training by about 5. You shower, you do whatever. If you could eat from like 9 to 5 or 10 to 6 and you could just eat in a surplus and have, you know, a decent amount of proteins and carbs and fats, you know, the macros kind of all fit for your goals. I don't think it's going to kill you, especially if you're already relatively lean. Um, worst case scenario, if you really were worried about your body eating itself, which again, if you're training and you're getting enough calories in the same 24-hour period, I think it's fine. Because if you're training that early at 4 o'clock in the morning, your body's pulling off of the food you ate from the night before. So even if you went from like 10 to 6 um, or like 11 to 7, you could go for that fasting window. Or worst case scenario, you have like a liquid protein shake and something like post-workout and then really don't start eating your food until like that, again, like that 10 to 6 or 11 to 7 window. Now, does that technically break your fast? It does, but it's if you're only, again, if you're only married to that kind of liquid nutrition shake after the workout, you're really not eating whole dense foods until later in the day. So again, you're still giving your body enough proteins and some you know simple carbohydrates quick to recover from the workout if that's the worry to get some aminos in your your body dripping and streaming, which you're again you already probably have from the night before because your body's still digesting the chicken or steak or fish or whatever you ate. And then only eat the meals from like ten to six or eleven to seven. Um that could work. Otherwise, the only other option would be, you know, just start your fasting window a little bit earlier, maybe nine to five. Again, that's early for me personally, but again, it works for your personality type. I like to fast to go later in the day. So honestly, I think if you did it and you don't, if again, if you're training at four and you get done by like five and you're not super hungry, you just don't eat. Like you can push that window off and if you eat your first meal at nine or 10 and then fast it from there, I think that's fine. And if you have to stretch it out and you can't do all 16 hours, just fast for 15 hours. There's a lot of ways you can skin that. I would just say if you're really trying to put on tissue, try it this way first. Try just training, go without nothing, and then pick a window you're going to eat from, 9 to 5, 10 to 6, 11 to 7. See if that works over the course of a couple weeks or a month and how you feel. If you find that you're not you know, building tissue or your, your body's eating itself because you can't handle enough, obviously you could up the calories and keep going. Or like I said, try that you know, post-workout liquid nutrition shake of like, you know, just some basic protein and some simple carbohydrates. And then obviously eat the meals between, you know, like 11 to seven for like a fasting window. I don't think that's doing your body a huge disservice. Yes, that technically breaks the fast, but it's simple liquid nutrition. It funnels it in. And for the sake of what you're trying to do, um, it's giving your body and your mind a confined window uh, to eat in. And I think you can be successful doing it that way. Um, short of that, last couple questions here quickly. Everybody always asks what my height and weight is. I'm six foot two, um, just under 220 pounds. I'm about 216 today. Um, actually, some guy on Instagram today told me I look skinny and look like a runner. So there's that. If you know any runners out there who are 216 pounds and have a, a monster ass like me, uh, please, I'd love to be friends with them. Uh, it's, it's, the internet is just a comical place sometimes. And then the last question, uh, people ask me, how long have I been training? Um, lifting? I've been lifting since I was probably 14 years old, 13 or 14. I can't remember exactly. I remember like lifting weights 
uh, in like middle school on the old school machines. If you guys are as old as me, and then obviously doing free weights, like at the YMCA in this place called St. T's. Uh, we do Smith machine stuff, lat pull downs, a lot of dumbbell work. We'd bench press probably every single day because um, you're a dude and you're stupid, and that's what you do. But uh, I've been lifting weights for the better part of 22 ish years for sure and even before that i was doing the plastic weights in our apartment uh that my mom had bought that you fill with water and sand so i've been training basically my whole life for all you guys out there so everybody who asked for the stats i'm 6'2 215 to 220 pounds and i've been lifting for the better part of you know 20 to 25 years give or take depending on but i got serious about it at about 14 ish and 15 ish and from 15 on um it really never stopped and then from ages like 22 to now is when I've you know basically died for it. But that base matters. And, and anything you do in life, you guys, um, just like the compound effect of interest, right? The earlier you can save for retirement, the richer you're going to be when you're 59 and a half. And the earlier you can start being fit and eating healthy and training healthy, you know, the sooner you're going to reap the benefits. And honestly, the longer you're going to be able to reap the benefits of that. If you do it, you know, smart and correctly and don't abuse your body and and joints and stuff and just and try to do things too fast, too soon when you're not ready for it. I just don't see a see the purpose in that so hopefully that answered all of your questions i appreciate you guys uh i truly do it means a lot and uh if there's anything else you want to hear from me on the podcast feel free to send me a request shoot me a dm i'm I'm happy to record it as again i've dedicated an hour to doing this here and uh if you're on itunes right now just stop don't be a lazy ass make sure you drop uh, us a five star and leave a comment i truly do appreciate it if you think this podcast can help anybody please share it um share it on instagram on facebook via email um text it to your friends it it means a lot it helps us obviously move up the rankings and uh it just lets us spread the message to a lot of people who do need to hear it because again i do thank you guys for the messages you send me um a lot of them are much heavier than uh than i ever anticipated them to be and so i thank you for that even though sometimes it's hard to read them um, and hear the stuff you guys are going through, but I do appreciate them. So thank you for sharing them. And I feel very humble that I can help play any part in, you know, helping you make a better life choice or making you eat better, train better, just live better, be more mindful or, you know, pull you out of debt or pull you out of a shitty situation by just the words that, uh, I'm sharing. And I only share things you guys that I know about and have experienced and I do it with complete honesty and with no filter, um, because I fucked up a lot in my life. And, uh, any mistakes I've made, I'm, this is my cathartic way of trying to unfuck them um, as I just speak on the podcast and hopefully help you not make the same mistakes I've made or at least um, you know, pull you out of them before you go uh, deeper down the rabbit hole. And, uh, and just understand like you're in control of your life and you can do you know, pretty much anything you want for the most part. And it's a, it's a gift to be here. And if you approach it that way every day and treat it that way, um, it'll feel that way to you. So, And Again, reminder, uh, 50 Days of Fitness is kicking off on November the 11th here. you got 12 days left to register. There's a podcast discount code if you're interested. I'm happy to rock with you guys. Um, and until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace.